tuned into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 266 of the Pacey Performance Podcast and features Jordan Mendiguccia, who is a hamstring researcher and consultant who's consulted for the teams in the NBA, teams in the NFL, the English Premier League and teams across the world. So it's hamstring injuries that is the focus of this bite size. But just before we do dive into this episode with Jordan, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a free solution to be able to collect, analyze, visualize and present data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. How do you see the current approach to hamstring injury rehab and prevention and how would you say that there's room for improvement in this area? Okay, good question. Look, Rob, I think the the issue of hamstring injury definitely definitely needs a new boost, a step forward. I think it has been an injury that, contrary to other types of injuries, such as ACL, it has been approached from a very analytical and isolated point of view. This influences both the evaluation methods and the intervention carried out. To give a clear and simple example, in the ACL injury, in sitting events such as size cutting, jumps, were biomechanically analyzed to later analyze how the trunk, hip, ankle, or even anatomy could influence this incident event, providing a multifactorial approach to the problem. Consequently, prevention programs have been directed to correlate and repeatedly performed the movement related to the injury, like side cutting, etc. And never see a guy, I don't know if you see Rob, that only perform squats to prevent the ACL. But what happened in hamstrings? Look, Rob, everything was reduced to the action of the hamstring at a specific time of sprinting, the main injury mechanism. And from there, the measurement methods such as isokinetic, normal, and, preven- and prevention training were arrested. It has been focused at that concrete moment without going too deep into how the trunk, pelvis, the other leg interaction influenced that moment. And surprisingly, that was extrapolated to the preventive method in which instead of starting from the correct improvement and repetition of the injury mechanisms, as in the ACL, in hamstring injuries, most of the research has focused on improving the specific strength or isolated strength of the knee flexor or knowing which exercise activates more one hamstring muscle or the other. But what happened about the injury mechanism movement and patterns? If we go to the literature, we can see the huge difference between the artic- articles dedicated to Nordic hamstring and a sprint, at least in the injury-related area. Therefore, was the prevention scheme proposed by, by Mecklen equally applied in the two pathologies? Maybe an interpretation problem? With this, Rob, I don't, I don't want to give rise to misunderstandings. I'm not against the Nordic or the eccentric work that I even researched and analyzed. Therefore, it's a critic for myself too. But I wonder myself, today, look, it has been more than 80 years of the first study in the AFL carried out by the group of uh, Uwe Proske, David Morgan, Camilla Brockett, that suggested eccentric training effectiveness in reducing this type of injury. Then, it's not a new thing. We did 
20 years ago. Even when I played, we did eccentrics. All the football teams that I know do eccentrics weekly, actually, at least in the minor leagues. And what is still the biggest injury proven today? Hamstrings. We can shield ourselves in that the velocity and intensity of the game has increased, but then maybe eccentric are not effective enough, enough to battle against actual player demands, right? We cannot ignore what is happening and continue not listening to the concerns of our college of the teens frustrated and under pressure because they continue with the same injuries, amount of injuries, despite using eccentric exercises. They don't lie and are worried about hamstring because what has been suggested does not solve at least entirely the problem. Rob, this is the reflection I make about hamstring injuries and that's what I think that without criticizing what we have done in the past, we need for sure something else. And that is what uh, we are preparing and working on, but it is very hard work. Because if we assume that look that now we agree on that, that is a multifactorial injury and that the factors interact with each other, the current force or range of motion measurements and isolated measurements are not able to show us these associations. Therefore, everything goes through the development of new contextualized screens that allow us to decipher the primary factors to correct. And, we, we talk, and when we talk about contextualized, we talk in reference to the main injury mechanism that is not other than a sprint. And of course, it's not the only one injury mechanism because there are injury mechanisms related to overstretching, trunk perturbation, etc. And that's what, uh, together with Johan Lati and JB Morins from, from Nice and the rest of the group, are trying to do it and show. In resume, we are trying to validate and show how I assess each individual high elite player in my current practice and what kind of program prescribed according to a multifactorial contextualized screening that takes in account factor interaction and sprint, sprinting as a main injury mechanism. Finally, in addition to that, if we wanted to be more close to succeed, to succeed from a prevention perspective, at least in football, in my opinion, we need to perfectly know our sport demands and derived adaptations and our player adaptation to coach methods or training. This is how we achieve the best results in the WOFA survey. Okay? But maybe, of course, and uh, Future will say, maybe I am wrong. Could you explain, if possible, um, maybe in simple-ish simple terms, the role of the trunk and the pelvis when it comes to hamstring injuries, Jordan? Well, it has been shown by uh, Showermans uh, that um, anterior pelvic tilt uh, as a risk factor for hamstring injury. And if we only base it theoretically in uh, elemental anatomy, we know that uh, we know that uh, hamstring attach to the pelvis to this scale tuberosity and then increase and an on anterior pelvic tilt will increase 
hamstring length. There are much more indirect things saying that uh, could be a, a, a risk factor, an important structure to, to look at. For example, uh, I read a lot in, uh, about cerebral palsy patients that uh, they have, they have uh, normally uh, big uh, hamstring contractors, and uh, sometimes these uh, contractors need to uh, go to surgery. Look, when they were cutted from the medial hamstrings, semitendinosus, uh, they are not changed at the at the pelvic side, but when they have an incision from the biceps femoris, of course, uh, it has been shown that there is a moving, movement of the pelvis. If we go more in deep, uh, we have been shown uh, by functional MRI. We um, and earlier studies by by a Japanese college uh, like um, uh, Igashihara and and Ono, that increases uh, trunk flexion or hip flexion, uh, increases uh, biceps femoris uh, signal intensity. And uh, this Japanese group too have proved and showed that uh, when you sprint with an inclined trunk, there is more biceps femoris lengthening. Uh, mostly at the beginning of the acceleration phase. Then, and looking for the momentars, you know that probably um, hip momentars are double from the hip than, than the knee. It looks like pelvis and trunk uh, have a relationship with the, with the hamstring injury. But, important too, it has been shown in, in some dorm uh, studies that one leg interact with the other and that's necessary to to perform and to 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 sprint faster the same has been shown by Nagahara and college uh, and then in my mind the only way to connect these both legs and the only joint that connects these two legs is the pelvis and it has been shown that faster to run faster you need uh you need a deep anterior pelvic tilt that's necessary but the mismatch could be that could be good to run to run fast like track and field athletes like soccer because only uh, playing soccer that's what that's what i call the adaptation that we have to know the adaptation but look if you play soccer, you increase your anterior pelvic tilt. Okay, and mm -hmm. uh, same with the with the with the track and field athletes. If we compare with rowing, if we compare with uh, with judo, etc. And uh, then that mismatch occur can be good to running fast, but if you go too far, can be dangerous for from injury perspective. So why why do you think there's been such a focus on knee flex strength? Is that just because we've got easy methods to measure it, rather than looking at the multifactorial other multifactorial issues uh, around sprinting? I don't know. Uh, yeah, the, the the thinking process is not bad. 
because it was hypothesized, hypothesized that uh, late swing phase is where where injury uh, probably happened. Then it's true that is the the moment where hamstring uh, acts as a as a absorber, just uh, doing a negative work in order to prevent uh, the tibia going away. And then yes, we focus on that. But look, uh, and and it's good. And probably generally speaking, it's good. But just at the same time moment, the second anterior pelvic tilt happened. Ipsilateral max uh, gluteal max uh, force happen, contralateral iliosural lens happen. Then at the same happen, if you uh, look and you make a zoom of the entire movement or the entire situation, you can see all this happen concomitantly. Okay? Then I don't know why we only focus it on that. In fact, we see that there is no relationship between isolated testing and mechanical properties of a sprinting. Then there is no relationship, and and that uh, sounds uh, makes sense for me to me because just the function of the hamstring of the biarticular muscle that you can um, you can go uh, to to the literature and um, and see. Uh, papers like uh, uh, wrote by Baningen Eskino, Bobart, very, very nice and great biomechanists. You can see that the, the function of the muscle, the, of this biarticular muscle is totally different that, uh, that uh, what we are doing when, um, when testing uh, uh, initialization. In fact, it has been shown that when you compare a football player, cross-sectional area, of the quads and hammies with a uh, with a guy that is not playing, just the quads cross-sectional area are equal, but the hamstring are greater. But when you normalize with knee extension or knee flexor strength, when you normalize this this uh, knee flexor normalization strength is less in football players. That's probably because we are not uh, uh, testing how this uh, uh, group of muscle are functioning during a sprinting, because we know that they are they have greater uh, cross-sectional area. That means that probably they are stronger, and this happened, of course, in football players, in in track and track and field athletes, especially sprinters. But when you normalize measuring knee flexure. Uh, during a isokinetic movement, eccentric isokinetic uh, assessment, just you have less hamstring strength comparing to people that uh, don't uh, perform or don't do football. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. As I mentioned, this clip came from episode number 266 with Jordan and can be found on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I'll chat to you next time.